it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we are going to take a bird's eye view at a bank and walk through a bank statement and how to kind of analyze a bank because we got this great question that we thought would kind of help spur this conversation. So I'll go ahead and read the question and then we'll go ahead and start with our analysis of a bank. So here we go. Hey, Andrew and Dave, I wanted to ask you about Citizens Financial Group, CFG. I looked at the stock on finviz.com and also glimpsed a recent earnings report that everything looks very good. With all the recent bank fear, now seems to be like a great time to get into this company. As Buffett has says, and you all have repeated, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Is this stock a too good to be true case? Is there something I'm missing in the financials? I would greatly appreciate any help you can provide. And thanks for all you do. I'm 20, new to investing, but your research letter and y'all's podcast has been super helpful in giving me the confidence to create a financial plan to support my future family. Thanks so much. Best regards, Samuel. Well, Samuel, it's our pleasure. And you obviously are from the South with all the y'alls. So I appreciate the shout out from the South. So Andrew, let's talk about banks. So this is something we've not really done much on in quite some time. So maybe we could talk to people about banks and how to analyze them. I'd love to. And thanks for writing in, Samuel. I enjoyed this question and hopefully it's 
helpful. Do we want to kind of run down some context on what just happened in the banking world just from a 30,000 foot view so people understand why? I feel like in regular life, nobody really even knows what's going on with banks, but certain pockets of finance and technology are really shook up from what happened with a couple banks in California. So we can talk about that real quick. Yeah. So for those of you who might have missed, there's been three big banks in the news recently that have all experienced a lot of turmoil and upheaval because not necessarily that things are horrible with banks in general, but just with these three particular banks and possibly a fourth. So the first one is Silicon Valley Bank, which is a bank out in California, ran into some trouble and over kind of a long weekend, uh, there was a lot of back and forth between people that bank there and the the government ended up having to take over the bank because they had gotten into a bank run and they had liquidity problems from poor decisions made by management over the last few years that really led to some problems with the bank. And that caused a lot of fear in the banking industry and other banks started to struggle in the stock market, not in the banks themselves, but just in the stock market because of fears of a widespread like you know, contagion, so to speak. And then there was another bank in New York, Synchrony Bank, that also went through some shakeup as well. And this was more related to deposits and crypto. And again, not bashing crypto, but it was they were related and there were some issues with that. And that caused a bank run, which caused some fear of a bank failure. And overseas, there was another bank, Credit Suisse, who has been on the struggle bus for quite some time since I was working in the banking industry, which was five or six years ago. So it's been a long time coming. They started to experience a lot of problems with their liquidity as well. And UBS, a bank in Europe, also ended up buying them out. And so those three stories all kind of happened around the same time period, which caused a lot of people, especially in the stock market, to think that there could be problems systemically with banks. It's turning out to not be the case. And there was a lot of fear and greed in the market. So a lot of bank stocks started to fall, which is what prompted Samuel to look at probably Citizens Financial. And so that's why I think maybe in the context of why he's asking this question, people can understand. Now, I don't want people to think that banks are in trouble, that banks are bad, that your account at your local bank, you're doing fine. So you know, if we want to analyze bank stocks, there's there are a lot of things you want to think about. So understanding the overall context can help a little bit. I love that. That's perfect. And maybe we can start with that kind of black swan risk where what makes a bank, there's many things that make banks different from your regular business. But one of the big ones is that not only can they run into trouble if they have too much debt, but they can also run into trouble if they lose a bunch of depositors. So maybe talk just briefly about like, the basics of banks and deposits and where the risk is there and how investors can look at a bank and and analyze if they have that risk more than somebody else. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff is all kind of interconnected, but the basic function of banks is to take deposits and make out and put out loans. So when you and I go to our bank and put our paycheck in the bank, the bank has the ability to take that money and then loan it out to someone else to buy a car, a home, whatever, what have you. And we have this system in the United States called uh, fractional banking, which basically means that they can take $1 and, and loan it out into $4 and possibly in four different ways. 
And what happens is that those deposits are considered liabilities because that's money that the bank owes us. That's our money. And so when I come to ask for my $10 back that the bank has loaned out, they have to give me the $10. And if they don't have it, then they have to figure out a way to generate liquidity to generate that $10 to give it back to me if they have loaned out too much money. And Silicon Valley Bank, that's what ended up happening to them is that so many people came to ask for their deposits back, the cash, that they didn't have the cash to give it back because they had loaned it out or they, in this particular case, they had put it in in investments that had gone south. They had invested in different stocks, not stocks, but different bonds and treasury bills and things of that nature that the bond market had turned south and so they weren't worth as much. And so when they went to sell their $100 bond, for $50, they don't generate as much money and they don't have as much money to give back to the depositors who are requesting their money. So that's, in essence, I guess, kind of what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and also an overview of kind of how banks work. And I think what's key there is for the vast majority of time and the vast majority of banks, there's plenty of money to go around. There's just, there can be stress in the system of a particular bank when everybody wants their money out at the same time. And so there are guardrails in place like the FDIC, which keeps people's money safe. But if you are, let's say, a startup or a venture business and you have more money in a bank than the FDIC covers, then you're going to be more freaked out and want to pull your money out because that some of that money is not insured. And that's kind of what happened there is... Silicon Valley Bank was basically all startups, right? Mm -hmm. Who are probably over that limit. Bottom line is they all got made whole. The depositors did. Silicon Valley Bank shareholders lost everything. So that is maybe a good place to start thinking about a bank is you have the deposits on one side, you have the loans on the other side. And if you can understand how a bank's deposits are comprised... I think that can really help with really the risk that everybody forgets until the tide comes out every once in a while. That, yeah, this is actually a specific risk to banks that you don't see in other industries or companies. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. 
It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. So I guess for me, I think it could be helpful to kind of go through some of the key parts of a bank like Citizens Financial Group as a learning exercise. And so, Samuel, I might disappoint you. I'm not going to give an opinion or against citizens in particular. I will say I am invested in two different big banks. And I'm so far beating the market with one and losing to the market with the other. So you can, you know, take that for what it's worth. But, you know, I think I think with a general understanding, a lot of people can get their hands around some of the differences in some of the different banks. And you definitely don't want to paint it with a paintbrush broad strokes and say, yeah, this is endemic of all banks. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, this is probably going to be one of our more complex episodes. And if you get overwhelmed by all the bank talk, just stick to regular companies and you should be fine. So I'm pulling up Citizen Financial Group's 10K, which is their uh, publicly filed annual report. And I'm using BAMSEC.com. So if you happen to be home at your computer and you can sneak a peek at their annual report. You can follow along. But I'm skipping to item eight, which is where the financial statements are. And this financial report lets you click down to skip. And then there's all these different notes that give you more information over the financials. So I'm just going to start on the income statement. And what I want to look for is how does this bank generate money? So you have what's called interest income and non-interest income. For this bank, they generate about $7 billion in interest income and about $2 billion in non-interest income. So what that tells me is that this is more of your traditional bank, like Dave was saying. They take deposits, they loan it out, and they make interest on those loans. Because if you look inside their interest income of that $7 billion, almost $6 billion comes from loans and leases. So that tells us that this is a pretty cut and dry, more standard bank in contrast to some of the big banks like JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, who have all these other things that they make money from, which makes it so much more complex. So this is actually a great example because we can make it a lot more simpler. And so the first place I would go is the income statement so that I can see generally how does this bank make their money. And then from there, you can kind of laser in into okay, now I know where they make their money. Let me focus on that part of the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you look at Citizen's income statement, you can see you know, the two main income streams as well as the expenses. 
and just understand that the income is going to be offset by the expenses and terminology that you would use for with Apple is not always going to apply with a company like Citizens Financial or banks just in general. One of the things that is harder and make more challenging with banks is because they speak air quote a different language, their accounting is different than Apple's. And so terminology like gross margin or operating margin are things that aren't really going to come into play when you're looking at banks. You're really looking at more like net interest margin, which is the, you know, the margin that they make based compared to the overall revenue. And you want to see what that is. And then you also want to see what kind of non-interest income they make and also compare that to the overall revenue. And that'll also give you an idea of what kind of net margin they get. So, you know, banks have the same kinds of expenses that Apple does. You know, they have to pay for the employees. They have to pay for the rent. And, you know, they have to pay for equipment and, you know, all those kinds of things. But they don't have the same kinds of, you know, R&D. And they won't have the same kinds of depreciation and amortization. They will have them, but it's different. And so just some of those things will help you kind of get past the, like, if you first look at the income statement and go, uh, I don't get this, you know, especially if you're used to looking at Coca-Cola and McDonald's and Walmart and Apple and all these air quote regular companies. And then you look at a bank and you go, so once you kind of get past that little, that little hurdle and, and understand the different components of how it is, you know, net income, for example, or net interest income, for a bank is really based on what Andrew was talking about, where the money they generate from loans, the interest that they make compared to the expense of generating that money. And that expense comes from the deposits that they have to to pay to entice people to deposit money in their bank. So when you get a notification saying that Ally Bank has raised their savings rate to 4.2%, that's an expense to Ally Bank. And the idea is that they can generate a spread between the rates that they charge people to buy a car versus the rates that they have to do to entice me to deposit my money in the bank. Because the two work together. You can't have one without the other. If they don't have deposits, they can't lend out money for cars. And they can't make money if they can't have a big enough spread. And that's where the whole interest expense, interest rates that they charge come into play. And you don't have to understand all the nitty gritty of it. But if you just understand the overview of that's how you know most banks generate the majority of their money. And in Citizens Bank, that's very evident. Just by looking at that, you can already tell that they are going to be a very big lender versus having services and things of that nature just by looking at their income statement. It's really a great way to look about it and think about it. And getting through looking at a bank can be really complex. But if you can simplify as much as you can and just think big picture and try to zoom out as much as you can. Mm -hmm. So to think about that spread they're making between the loans and the deposits, something you have to consider when Ally Bank makes a car loan to somebody is there's a chance that person doesn't pay back the car loan. And so what that happens for Ally Bank is they would lose money on that loan. So when you're comparing banks, some of them are going to make safer loans than others. And in general, I don't want to say that this is true for everybody, but in general, the riskier loans they make, the higher margin they can make, the bigger that spread is. Mm -hmm. Because the more risky a loan is, the higher your interest rate is going to be for that, but also the higher risk for the bank that you default. So what I like to do, kind of being really safe and then trying to think of how can I invest in a bank that's going to, that I can sleep at night knowing that in 10 years they should still be around, is I like to go to that loan book and just kind of see 
in general, does it look safe? So going back to the financial statements for Citizens Financial, if we go back to those notes, like I mentioned, and I'm sorry that not every bank's going to have it in the same spot, so you might have to do some digging. But for Citizens, it was Note 5 has loans and leases. So I'm going to click on that. And then inside of this section, it's going to tell you what kind of loans they're making. And I think that also helps paint a pretty good picture. So they've got about half of their loans are commercial and half are retail. What retail means, it's everyday Joes like you and I for mortgages, for cars, for home equity, for student loans. So knowing that, and then you can dig through the different line items and maybe start with something that's a bigger line item. And then usually these banks will have disclosures about how risky they think those loans are, or sometimes there's even more objective measures. So for example, uh, one of the banks I own has a decent amount of exposure to residential mortgages. And so a lot of times when there's mortgage exposure or credit card exposure, the banks will actually tell you what percent of their loans are what FICO score. So I can see, okay, you know, their credit score for the people they're loaning money to, you know, maybe 80% of the people have a 700 credit score or higher. So you can use that information and then compare it to other banks that are doing similar loans. And that's where you can start to get a good sense of, is this bank on the riskier side or is it on the cheaper or not cheaper? Is it on the riskier side or is it on the safer side as it refers to their loans? And that can really help reduce the risk in holding some of these companies and stocks for the long term. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah, those are some great little nuggets and tips to assess the credit quality of the loans that the company has. And that's going to go a long ways towards determining how safe a bank is because those are, for the most banks, that's where they're going to generate a vast majority of their income or a very large part of their income. Like Andrew said, some of the more money center banks like a JP Morgan or a Bank of America that have so many different branches of revenue, it's going to be a little more diluted. But particularly when you get into smaller banks or regional banks, you're going to find a lot more loan-based companies that are going to generate a lot of money from them. And another little cheat code that I have found along with looking at the notes, which is a great idea. Every company does quarterly calls and a lot of companies will put out, they will put out slides that describe a lot of the things that they talk about in the earnings calls. And if you have some, you know, gumption, you can open those and look at those. And some of the slides will define what kinds of credit scores their portfolios have. And I'm going to give you an example. Fifth Third Bank, for example, every quarter when they report their earnings, they put slides in there that will tell you this you know, commercial loan has you know, an average of 720 credit score. And these auto loans have an average of 740 credit score. So they'll give you numbers to give you an idea of how strong the people are that they're lending to. And vice versa, I read recently that Ally Bank, who does a lot of auto loans, those tend to be air quote, riskier loans than more secured loans like a mortgage, for example. And so their credit scores that they offer are around the 640 to 650 range. 
And that's kind of the average for loans that they're giving out to people for cars. And I'm not saying those are bad credit scores. So if you're sitting there with you know a score like that, that's horrible. It's not, but it indicates the strength of the, the loan portfolio that they have. And then you can compare that to Fifth Third Bank and you can compare that to Citizens Bank if they reveal that information. Unfortunately, not every bank is going to reveal that information, which is you know a bit of a bummer, but it is a neat little trick that you can use to help you get a sense of without having to look at all the numbers all the time, sometimes just something like that can give you an overview of, hey, this is they have a pretty decent you know, loan portfolio just by the credit score that they're giving to people. Yeah, that's very well said. So let's move on to, we talked about loans and we talked about how they kind of generate money. Can we kind of look at the, I guess the balance sheet, because composed compared to most companies, we generally look at income statements and cash flow statements, whereas the income statement's important, cash flow statement's important, but for banks, the balance sheet is like the everything. So like if you're looking at a balance sheet to think about how to analyze a bank stock, what are a few things that you would pick out that would be something that you'd want to kind of you know, dig deeper into. I mean, as soon as you ask that question, my mind automatically goes to some of the finer details and I don't want to lose people. So maybe you would, could you start on maybe something fundamental that that would be easy to grasp for a beginner? I think the two places that I look are things that we've already talked about that relate back to the income statement. And one would be the loan, the loan portfolio, and the other one would be the deposit portfolio. And so both of those are on the balance sheet. You can find them in that information. They will state whether uh, the loans are assets. So these are, those will be under the assets section, under the long-term assets. And then the deposits will be under the current liabilities. And that's where you can find those. And generally you want to see those going up. You want to see those improving. And that's a sign of a healthy bank because when you see those kinds of numbers going up, it means that they're taking more money. And so they're attracting people to help generate more revenue for them. And they're also being effective in loaning out the money, which is also going to generate revenue for them. So they're kind of interconnected. But again, it goes back to this is an asset and this is a liability. And you can kind of look at how that how those compare to the overall assets for the business, as well as the overall liabilities for the business as well. And that can give you a good sense of how financially stable the, the bank is. And so that's that's like the first two things I generally look at. That's really, really good. We can take it a step further and just in general look at the debt picture because while, yes, you can have things fall apart for a bank because of deposits, yes, you can have it fall apart because of the loans defaulting. But you can also have it happen because too much debt comes due. And actually, one of the things I found out when I was researching into Washington Mutual, you remember that whole story from like over a decade ago, was I felt like it wasn't talked about much, but they had a huge they had a huge debt come due for the bank itself. So even if even if the whole fiasco didn't happen, I wonder if they would have even stayed solvent because they had this huge debt that rolled through and weren't able to you know, if they weren't able to refinance it, then that could have been what took them out. So for this bank in particular, Citizens Financial Group, we can look at their long-term debt. And what I see here is a long-term debt that went from 6.9 billion to 15.8. So more than doubled. That kind of gives some alarm bells to me. And it's like, I would want to see why did that happen? 
And they went from a net cash position to a net debt position. So they used to have around close to $10 billion in cash versus the $6.9 billion in long-term debt. Now they have around $10 billion in cash to close to $16 billion in debt. It's just a different situation. And so it would be a situation where maybe if I look at a company like JP Morgan and they have net cash, plenty of it, and the, the long-term debt's not that big of a deal, then... I probably don't look at it as closely as I would a bank that says, that tells me, okay, maybe I need to pay closer attention. Yeah, that's a great insight. And those are, again, all parts of figuring out how financially secure and strong the bank is and understanding that relationship between the debt and how it works for the bank. The thing that always pops into my mind when Andrew was talking about that is we want to ask ourselves questions. When we're looking through these financial statements and you're kind of looking at that particular situation where you see that the debt has gone up, that's a question I would ask myself, why? I need to know why this is. Because if you just look at the number, there may not be any legitimate reason that you can deduce. But then once you start reading through the management commentary, you may discover that they did that to buy another bank, for example. And I'm not saying that that's justified, but it at least gives you an idea of like, okay, now I understand why they did that. And then you can go about analyzing whether that's a good price to pay and whether that's a good thing for the bank to do and all those things. But whether you're looking at the income statement, the balance sheet or the cash flow statement, it's always you know good to go look at it through the lens of asking questions so you can dig deeper into things and not just taking it at surface value. For example, we were talking about loans and deposits earlier. You want to know why they're going up. You know, what's driving? Is the company have some sort of promotion that's going on that maybe could eat into their profits on the income statement versus what they're doing with trying to, to grow deposits? We were talking about Ally Bank earlier a moment ago. That cost of raising their savings rate also comes at the expense of possibly damaging their income for the business. And so it's just a good idea to understand all the kind of context of all of this, but it it all comes back to just kind of understanding the overall basic of the business and then understanding how everything interrelates and interrelates, excuse me, and how we can ask ourselves questions. And the more you do this, the better questions you're going to ask. And the more logical, a lot of things will look to you as you do more of it. At first, it's going to be like anything else. You're going to be overwhelmed (laughs) with technology or terminology and not really understanding all this. But like anything else, the more that you do it, the more it'll become second nature to you and you'll understand all that. But yeah, asking questions is for me is always something I really try hard to do. It's advice that all beginners should really consider and hopefully not get too overwhelmed about. It took me a long time to get to finally wade in the bank territory. I remember taking several very large bites and then having to put it down and just kind of walk away and and coming back to it when I learned more and kind of got a fresh perspective. So there's totally nothing wrong with doing that at all. And it's not like you're completely waving a white flag of Mm -hmm. countless times researched something and put it down and, and come back to it later with a fresh perspective and keeping curious, always asking questions rather than trying to make a decision right away, I think can go a long way to becoming a better investor. Yeah, totally agree. I think that's sound advice. All right. So we've talked a lot about the income statement, the balance sheet. We've talked about some of the things that you can look for in those particular areas. Is there anything else that you think might be pertinent for 
investors, especially newer or more immediate investors that are really want to start looking at banks or any other, I guess, red flags or potential pitfalls that you could, that people could fall into? Yeah, great question. I would say it might change, you know, five years from now, it might be a different red flag. So you just kind of have to keep an open mind and just try to, like you said, question everything. One thing I will say is I noticed the last couple of years when I was looking at a lot of different banks, you mentioned growing deposits and how you can kind of do that too aggressively by maybe sacrificing too much, a bank paying too high of a rate. Something I noticed is a lot of the banks, a lot of the smaller ones that were growing really, really fast were also basically gobbling up other banks. And I'm not saying that one bank buying another bank is always a bad move. There's definitely times when banks can take advantage of that blood in the streets, the fear in the market kind of an idea. But I just, I felt like there were a lot of banks that seemed like they were being very aggressive and they were fueling their growth by buying a lot of smaller banks and diluting their shareholders as they were doing it, which means they're giving away more parts of the company. Now you're owning less. So I would just watch out for that in today's environment that if you see a growth rate that seems too good to be true, it probably is. And you want to make sure that these banks aren't overpaying to buy other banks to turbocharge their growth. Yeah, well said. Well said. I think that's a great final tip for people when they're analyzing banks to kind of take into the whole picture as they're kind of thinking about these different opportunities that will present themselves in a market. And hopefully today's help you realize that, yeah, you can invest in banks and it's not it's not an overcome over insurmountable mountain that you you can get over it. Once I think once you start to understand the terminology, I think being able to analyze a bank becomes a lot simpler. It's just a matter of learning the language and then kind of moving on from there. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, everyone, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's show. Thanks again, Samuel, for sending us such a fantastic question. That was a lot of fun to talk about. And hopefully everybody got some good learnings out of that. So everyone, don't forget to subscribe to our show on your preferred podcast app if you enjoyed our little podcast. If you would kindly consider giving us a review, it greatly helps the show. And don't forget to browse the incredible materials that we created for you at einvestingforbeginners.com, particularly related to banks uh, with today's show. And lastly, consider growing your knowledge as an Investing for Beginners insider with insights and educational tips delivered right to your inbox for free. Sign up today. And with that, I'll go ahead and wrap us up. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.